Bohemianism, Part 2. Le Petit Cénacle, the first generation of Bohemia. This podcast is part of the ParisProject.net. I'm Roger Mummert. While the idea of Bohemianism may seem eternal, the founding of Bohemianism in Paris can be traced to 1830 when a small group of young writers and artists formed a circle they called Le Petit Cénacle. The name was inspired by an earlier Cénacle of Victor Hugo. Cénacle means upper room in reference to the place where the group met. Hugo's circle included Alexander Dumas, Charles Naudier, and other established writers who embraced Romanticism and dared to reject Classicism. The writers and artists of Le Petit Cénacle were in their early 20s, and they made up the next generation who took Romanticism to a higher level. They believed that life should be lived for art, and art should never be employed toward bourgeois conventions and comforts. Like many art movements, bohemianism in its original phase lasted just a short while, 5, 10, 20 years in various stages, but its essence inspired a host of spin-offs, Parnassianism, dandyism, the poet Modi, the decadent poets, symbolists, neo-bohemians, and anti-bohemians. A century later, bohemianism inspired Dadaism, Surrealism, The Lost Generation, La Nouvelle Vague, as well as beatniks and hippies, punk rock and grunge. Bohemianism also inspired works about bohemianism. The first was Henri Merger's Saint de la Vie de Bohème. This series of stories was published in newspaper installments beginning in 1845. It followed a group of friends living a bohemian life in Paris. It achieved fabulous success as a play in 1849, then as a book in 1851. The book was widely reprinted and translated. The story was spun into several operas called La Bohème, the first by Puccini, then another by Leon Cavallo. A century later, the opera inspired the musical Rent. At least a dozen movies are based on the story or inspired by it, notably Baz Luhrmann's Moulin Rouge. And the rock anthem Bohemian Rhapsody by Queen streams on after nearly half a century, it even inspired Bohemia, Bohemian Polka, a parody tribute by Weird Al Yankovic. Bohemianism may be more style than substance, but what a style. It's eternal. It never goes away. Oat Boho is now a fashion classic, and there's Bobo, or bourgeois bohemian. This oxymoron describes a political progressive who bicycles from their luxury apartment to a protest against new luxury housing that threatens a neighborhood's bohemian heritage. That's full circle irony there. As for living a bohemian experience, I've been there. When I arrived in Paris as a student in the 70s, I left my jeans stateside. I wore a suit and a Borsalino hat tilted jauntily in imitation of a photo of Henry Miller in Paris in the 30s. I checked into a student hotel in the Quartier Latin, then hit the boulevards to purchase a black cape to complete my image as a fully Frenchified bohemian. I inquired in a few men's shops and was met with the dismissive Parisian Pfft. One shop owner gave me a blistering response. He ran a fashionable Parisian shop, he said, not some costumery for bohemian wannabes like me. Well, no cape, but I bought a long scarf and looped it around my neck as my boho flag. A few years later, I lived in New York's East Village, where there was no shortage of Bohemians. Second Avenue was a parade of old hippies, very old beatniks, and young punk rockers. A Bohemian platter was pierogies at Veselka. A Bohemian date, a doubleheader of Godard and Truffaut at the Bleecker Street Cinema. And everyone there had been to Paris or they planned to go. 
I shared a large, cheap flat with two young artists from Geneva, and a lot of French was spoken there. Their Euro friends dropped by with Beaujolais and Pâté for rooftop picnics, and our apartment had few comforts, but it was furnished with various street picking, street trophies, we called them. When a flatmate went to Europe for the summer, I showed her sparsely furnished room to a prospective subletter. He hesitated. Oh, I don't mind the bohemian lifestyle, he said, but I believe there's more furniture in a jail cell. I also played drums briefly in a band called uh, the Weekend Bohemians, or Bohemian Weekend, depending on which band member you ask. Our name dispute was one of a number of creative differences that ended my tenure with the band after just one gig. Well, at least I had looked the part, perched behind my drum kit in dark specs a la Jean-Luc Godard, a striped boatneck shirt, and a beret. Hello, back to Paris and bohemianism in the 1830s. Bohemianism in origin glorified art and poverty. La vie de la bohème meant believing it and living it, both with a passion. Now, mind you, few artists of the time viewed their métier as a wage-earning profession. France had a patronage system, centuries old, in which painters and writers, musicians and playwrights were supported by sponsors of the noble classes and haute bourgeoisie. Sponsored artists then sang for their supper. They created art and also infused Parisian salon life with ideas, gaiety, and often outrageous behavior. Many artists found this demeaning, this art pro quo dependency. They attended the, the requisite salons, but after consuming a solid meal and copious drink courtesy of their well-heeled hosts, they acted out with anger, resentment, and mockery even. In other words, they acted like bohemians, and Paris salon society loved them. The word bohemian comes from Bohemia, a region in what is now the Czech Republic. Its association with an impoverished artistic lifestyle in Paris is really a misnomer. In the early 19th century, Paris saw an influx of Romani people, formerly called gypsies. And the Romani were mistakenly thought to hail from Bohemia, and their peripatetic or vagabond lifestyle was closely associated with artists, so the name stuck. The formation of Le Petit Cénacle in 1830 marked the birth of bohemianism. However, two events the same year were seminal in its emergence. One event was political. Louis-Philippe rose to the throne and established the July monarch. monarchy. He would remain in powers for 18 years as king of the French and the last monarch the country would see. His reign was marked by conservative policies, industrialization, colonial expansion, and the abandonment of populist reforms. A vast income, income gap grew between the bourgeoisie and urban poor, and civil rest increased. The Bohemians, critics say, were children of the 1830 revolution and of romanticism, and they lived in direct contrast to the rising bourgeoisie whose golden time it was. The other event was cultural. Victor Hugo's play Hernani premiered at the Comédie Française, a stage regarded as a bastion of classical tradition. The play presents an entangled love story set in the Spanish court of 1519, and its premiere marked a turning point in French literature and theater as Romanticism, represented by Hugo and his circle, would begin to eclipse classicism. Actors would abandon the wooden steel noble of the past and move freely about and speak expressively. Thus, the premiere of Hernani was seen by classicists as, a, as an attack upon French culture itself, and it became known as a battle, La Bataille de Hernani. For theatrical premieres, 
It was common to stuff the theater with an audience of hired supporters called claqueurs. For this premiere, a young poet, Petrus Borel, was engaged to collect a hundred rowdy students from the Quartier Latin. Their task was to fill seats and guffaw at passages where Borel had instructed them to do so. The students did so with gusto, and their choruses drew counterhoots from the classicists. Litter was tossed and a few punches as well. It was a real brouhaha. The play got poor reviews, but soon was regarded as a success and a key victory for romanticism over classicism. La Bataille de Hernani also marked a turning point between generations of writers. The Bohemians of Le Petit Cénacle, also known as La Boheme Galante, Les Jeunes France and Camaraderie de Bouzingos, soon were known for their drunken revelry, noisy impropriety, and outrageous dress. Their motto, Epate la bourgeoisie, or shock, scandalize, flabbergast the stuffy middle class. Le Petit Cénacle had, if not rules, some common practices. They adopted nom de bohème. Théophile Donnet de Santenay became Philothé Onetti. Gérard de Bruny became Gérard de Nerval. They wore outlandish costumes and hairstyle, red velvet robes, black capes, uh, medieval garb, and clown shoes. Petrus Borel wore a wide-brimmed hat with long ribbons that hung to his waist. He looked like a Spanish count from ages past. Théophile Gautier wore a pink velvet doublet or waistcoat. And they lived half in dreams. Friends of Gérard de Neval found him on street corners lost in an inner ecstasy. Before greeting him, they stood before him and patiently waited for him to first emerge from his reverie. They smoked like fiends and glorified it at gatherings of Le Cigarette Club. A verse from their anthem, Smoke, smoke, let us get drunk on dreams, and ask tobacco for oblivion. Alas, life's passing. All things are brief in a useless life. They reveled and reveled. They held naked parties where they drank alcoholic punch from human skulls. Or so the Bohemians said, they lied about most of this and much more. Lying was part of scandalizing the bourgeoisie. As for creative productivity, poems, plays, paintings, God knows when they, get, when they got created, but they did. The Bohemians published in newspapers Le Siècle, Le Figaro, and L'Artiste and La Presse. In 1835, de Nerval received an inheritance, and he created a publication, Le Monde Dramatique, to publish works by his Bohemian brethren. Le Petit Cénacle lasted three years before members scattered some to travel. And throughout the uh, 1830s, then, they reconvened in various configurations with a knack for reinvention. Petrus Borel moved from the County Latin to the right bank, where he founded Le Camp des Tartares. Next to his apartment was a garden where members of Les Tartares lounged in the nude and in full public view until they were threatened with arrest. A year later, the landlord gave them the boot, and Borel was back to the Quartier Latin. His new place on Rue d'Enfer was the scene of raucous parties and wild dancing. One dance was Le Galop Inferno. It was a forerunner of the Can-Can. The group was then known as Les Buzingos. The origin of that name is cloudy. Husay said it evolved spontaneously during a wild dance around a flaming punch bowl. Dancers shouted out whatever came to mind, and two words merged, boudin, shandy, or go, or goth. Whatever the truth, the Buzingos reveled in the dark side. They hung out in cemeteries. 
viewed human dissections at the medical school, and decorated their walls with human skulls. Another name change came in 1834 to La Société des Latrifons, or Society of the Noble Brows. Members shaved an inch or two of hair from their foreheads to create a lofty brow a la Victor Hugo. Hair on the sides of their heads went long, and they looked like lions. They completed the guys with pale skin and a melancholy air. Also in 1834, the group reconvened at the spacious apartment of artist Camille Roger. It was located on Impasse de Doyenne, a rundown alleyway of condemned buildings near the Louvre. The apartment had an enormous salon with grandiose Baroque panels and moldings. It served well as a communal space, in effect, a bohemian clubhouse. Gerard de Neval took up a small corner in the apartment, though he seldom was there, being a noctambulist or night owl who wandered the city and slept God knows where. In contrast, Housset spent so much time there, he brought in a sleeping cot. Gautier lived across the street and was a frequent visitor. This time was the group's golden bohemia. They rejoiced at reciting poetry, staging plays, painting on the walls, and inviting artists, writers, bohemians all, to dinners and parties. The apex of this time was a fancy dress ball, La Fête des Truand, or Party of the Crooks. Some say it was like a medieval orgy. Finally, the landlord kicked them out, and the original bohemians went their separate ways. Husay later recalled the time. Bohemian was our open revolt against all prejudices, against all laws. We had taken refuge there as if it were a citadel. It seemed as if our life would pass in the austere love of art and in the carefree gaiety of the joys of love.